was considering, I had really good breast milk and I was like, could I sell my breast milk on a black wow. market? Nothing would faze me. I'd just be so deeply chill and relaxed. I kind of already knew that I wouldn't be that though. But always getting to a point in that career and day job where it all became too much. Welcome to Finding Me Again. Passion, purpose and parenting. And what happens is my children then come home to me singing because the music's back on. Oh, oh, I can do this again and my brain still works and yes, this is it. This one's for the busy, loving, spread thin parents and those who love them. It takes a lot of work to find ourselves again or maybe for the first time and you've got to know where to look. Finding Me Again podcast is here for you. I'm Rachel Lackey, psychotherapist specialising in parent fulfilment and mum to two little boys. In this podcast, I interview parents about a time when they felt the most lost and the passions that got them through. I'll be gathering the things they've learnt along the way and throwing in my own tips that you can use to find fulfilment. You do all that stuff during the pregnancy and then you get home and there's an actual kid in the middle of your living room floor and you're kind of like, oh no, I don't know what I do now. <laughs> it is really hard, <laughs> as every, every parent knows. Uh, I don't think I was quite prepared. I'm joined today by Jamie Britton, who is a TV writer, co-creator of Skins, and he's also a writer for Breeders with Martin Freeman and Daisy Haggard. Season two is out now. He's the parent of a daughter aged four, and also lives with his partner in Walton-on-Thames, wherever that is, Jamie, somewhere... Surrey. Southern. (laughs) Welcome, Jamie. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. How did your parenting story begin? Uh, The situation in my life was, I'm going to say, quite bleak. (laughs) I'd had a lot of success as a young man in that I kind of came up with this TV show with my dad, who was a very established relatively well-known TV writer. And then at university, I was at University in London, and I ended up coming up with this show with him and writing on it and being given far more responsibility than uh, was capable of, of dealing with at the time. It was a lot of fun, and it was kind of a very successful show. But personally and, and psychologically, for a lot of it, I wasn't in a good place. You know, the day that I found out that Skins had broken a bunch of records for viewings on a digital channel, I was sitting in the Priory <laughs> in a uh, OCD support group trying to, you know, do a bunch of cognitive behavioural therapy to, to kind of deal with the OCD, which had kind of come on very strong around that time. Something you'd had going on for a while? It kind of came and went uh, a little bit, you know, once I was past sort of 18 or so. And then in the year when Skins was was sort of being born and sort of starting 2006, 2007, uh, that's when it just got really, really bad. And kind of from there, you know, there were some very dark moments in all that and very bleak (laughs) times. Mm -hmm. You know, I ended up being medicated uh, quite a lot and having lots of interventions to kind of help with my you know mental illness really and not knowing if it would get better at some point not no not really knowing if it'd get better and just feeling like really really low and depressed skins had happened and that was this big kind of cultural phenomenon and i just kind of found myself very much alone no partner what mostly happened was once skins was over which it was in you know it ran for seven years uh i was kind of deposited (laughs) out of that show kind of feeling like that was that and now I need to kind of get on with career and life and, and all that sort of stuff. And I sort of found that through all that, I didn't really have any of the life skills <laughs> needed mm. to kind of 
work or look after myself properly or, you know, really do much at all. Particularly the first half of the sort of last decade. Those were pretty, pretty bleak and horrible. That's a long time. Yeah, it was. It was It was a really long time. And I mourn for those years that I kind of lost. You know, I, I mourn for the time I kind of feel like I wasted in there. It didn't really work very much. You know, my finances were all in a mess because I, I kind of hadn't really paid attention to them. You know, my house was in a mess. The one thing I did do was kind of watch every movie, <laughs> which I'm sort of pleased I did because it kind of gave me a good sort of sense of the canon, as it were. Yeah. Um but beyond that, there was really uh, very little achieved. Is there some kind of curse to becoming successful so early and thinking, I should be so happy now? Yeah, I think so. Because it was sort of this weirdly unique circumstance where I was sort of handed a bunch of sort of responsibility and praise, mm-hmm. public adoration for the show or something like that. I'm not quite sure what it is. It did kind of screw with my circuitry a little bit. My sort of value system got a little bit skewed and... And my my own sense of self-worth just kind of plummeted. I've never been an egotist, you know, I've never been someone bigging themselves up or anything like that, but I think it kind of (laughs) scrambled the circuitry a little bit. This is very much standing on the shoulders of a bunch of kind of childhood stuff and unresolved emotional stuff that I kind of didn't really (laughs) realise was already there, you know. And it's sort of scrambled your sense of self. Others were holding up your work aloft and it was actually making you feel less self-confident. There was this idea of me as this very successful person and I just, I didn't feel successful at all. You know, mm. I didn't, I've always had, you know, very good friendships, but I felt very lacking in terms of relationships beyond that. And that stuff can get very ugly, I think. It can sort of turn ugly inside yourself and you can start feeling very resentful and angry at the world and all that sort of stuff. If relationships with others are the key to being successful yeah. and that's not there nothing else really matters or makes up for that yeah and you just do that thing where you start resenting people other people's for their happiness which is just i always think one of the worst things you can possibly do you know it's one of those misery machines um, and a real sign that you're unfulfilled or out of whack with something in your life absolutely yeah how did you go from there to becoming a parent well uh i met uh, a wonderful woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) through online dating she's great (laughs) and she remains great one of the things is that she didn't really care about the bits of me that were skins, you know, she liked me for me. I think also sort of in the year before meeting her, my psychiatrist had gone away and I had got panicky because I couldn't find the meds that I probably didn't need, but I mm. kind of relied on. And I kind of had a, had a moment where I was standing outside an office having had a inconclusive discussion with one of these guys. And I thought to myself, do you know what? Fuck this. I'm just going to stop taking them. Um, which I do not recommend for most people. <sighs> yeah. But if it turns out you're needlessly taking medication, uh, which I was, then for me it was actually quite an important moment in my life to do that. And then a few months later, that had kind of helped me recover enough to kind of be in a position to meet my partner. So I met her and, you know, quite quickly we were pregnant with my uh, daughter. Ah, yeah. Was that something you kind of filtered for with online dating? Someone who would want children? I always wanted children, definitely. Yeah. Always just felt like a very necessary thing in life. You know, it felt like children was a thing that you sort of built with another person. 
rather than like success. That was something that always seemed quite quite a pure ideal. Something you didn't have to overthink, it just naturally was what you needed and wanted. Yeah, and of course anyone who's had kids will know that it's anything but simple. Oh yeah, <laughs> don't know that at the time. <laughs> it certainly felt like, you know, this is something I can do which isn't tainted by a whole bunch of past trauma and resentment and all that kind of stuff. Like a fresh start. A fresh start, yeah. Once we got pregnant, that was when I realised I needed to do quite a lot of work to kind of get myself straightened up um, in order to mm. be a parent. What kind of parent did you think you'd be or want to be? I don't know. A really calm, <laughs> really collected, really kind of chill parent. Nothing would phase Nothing you. would phase me. I'd just be so deeply chill and relax. I kind of already knew that I wouldn't be that, though. I wasn't necessarily one of those people who was like, having a kid's going to solve all my problems, you know. I knew that it was going to be hard, I think. And it was. Every parent knows. Uh, I don't think I was quite prepared. I did know that I was someone who needed a fair bit of work done to be able to sort of be the kind of parent I'd like my my child to have something I'm very much still in the process of I very much don't consider myself the finished article by any means yeah. <laughs> and uh, I have been having like full-blown Freudian psychotherapy for coming on six years now wow you know that has been one of the hardest things I've ever done also one of the most rewarding things I've ever done mm. but it only now I'd say is it starting to kind of pay off oh my god i mean there's been like little increments but only now i would say yeah i'm getting to the point where it feels like it's actually helping me what have you noticed change just being more aware of your own processes and your own triggers and also just because it's freudian stuff very much going into your own childhood and looking at it from every conceivable angle in a kind of really quite tedious <laughs> way <laughs> in order to kind of try and work out where these things have their origins. It's bloody miserable work, but it does work, I think. So. <laughs> Such dedication to something that was having limited returns to start with. Oh man, so limited. So limited. You've got to have so much faith with that stuff. And that's lifelong, yeah. if you can tune into your own processes of becoming anxious or of being triggered and how you are as a parent, you can ideally use that forever yeah to know what you need i hope so being a writer it kind of relies on confidence and you get too interior and too self-doubting and it, it means you never start and you know it's so terrifying to kind of summon that confidence but i found that therapy has been very good at kind of giving you a kind of sense of self that isn't kind of constantly in flux and in chaos <laughs> yeah you've got to believe that you're good enough to actually get started on that page and it so relates to parenting as well it really does you know, the realisation that I came to with parenting, which took me a long time to get to, because I was very much the guy who read all the books. I'm going to read all the books on parenting, uh. including the ones that contradict each other <laughs> on, like, fundamental stuff. <laughs> and realising that, like, oh, kids actually do come out of the box differently yeah. to each other, and there's no right way of doing it. The kids aren't a, a sort of puzzle to be solved, but they are a biological process. Yeah. They are a sort of extension of yourself that is kind of occurring no matter what, you know, yeah. rather than something that's kind of mechanical. They're something kind of faintly mystical <laughs> yeah. and and kind of chaotic. I think most people, you know, recreate the stuff that their parents did wrong with them in one way or another. Whilst trying to resist that completely. Yeah, which is just a recipe for resentment and sadness. <laughs> so being conscious of that, being conscious of where your decisions are coming from and, whether, and, and, and also just kind of 
sort of listening to your child and listening to the signals that they're sort of giving you. Yeah. I think I'm a person who loves being given really sure instructions. I think I love reading a book by a, a, a child's guru who says this is definitely the way to do it Mm. and even though it seems like kids are all kind of different let me tell you they all respond to blah 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 which lots of the chatter is kind of um like with that and realizing that that is actually bollocks (laughs) (laughs) it's so lovely to have that certainty but it's it's false certainty and can make you feel somehow you're doing it wrong all your child is not right yeah so you prepared for parenting by doing therapy you read every book. Yeah. Planned to be the calm parent. I think <laughs> in a way that is probably just devastatingly self-centered. I kind of I kind of saw it as all about me, you know, and yeah. I'm like I need to engage with this side of myself. I need to work on this bit of me. Uh, and I did need to do all that, but yeah. I think you do all that stuff during the pregnancy and then you get home and there's an actual kid in the middle of your living room floor and you're kind of like oh no I don't know what I do now yeah how was that (laughs) it was hard it was very hard to kind of work out the terms of of the parenting that we were going to offer our children you know Mm. and I think if you're an anxious person or a nervous person like myself it can feel quite frightening to just be kind of voyaging into the unknown with this stuff that's why you seek all that sort of certainty from somewhere it's it's frightening and then i think less so as you go on (laughs) yeah i think as well when your child starts being able to talk to you and give you more actual feedback it becomes much less frightening Mm. because they can tell you what they want and they can tell you what they need but those early days when they're just this sort of very hard to read (laughs) individual it can be quite um intense and frightening (laughs) trying to decode them and you're the only ones who can do it yeah crack the code of what they really need to be okay that's right yeah Yeah. and so what did you have to give up when you became a parent or how did your fulfillment smoking (laughs) had to give give up smoking what was that like (laughs) horrible i gave up my e-cigarette kind of cold turkey once my partner was pregnant and that was like two of the worst days of my life and then it was done and i haven't sort of looked back since but giving up a bunch of you know partying and stuff like that that was you feel that Now I have one bottle of beer and I feel dreadful for like two days. So not worth it anymore. (laughs) It's not worth it anymore, no. That really sucked doing that. But actually, I'm, you know, I'm so glad I did it. Because my life before um, having a family was so empty and so boring and so lonely, to be quite frank, I was never so much someone who was sad about the things that they had to give up. You know, I'd already watched all the films um, and I'd already played all the video games. So even though I'm not saying it wasn't, there weren't moments or, you know, long periods where I kind of wasn't screaming for more time to myself and all that kind of stuff, I was very much ready to do, to be, to live a more consequential life. And that even seven seasons of a, a successful TV show didn't leave a consequential feeling. Yeah, because it's just feeling like you're living an inconsequential life. Nothing I do matters. You know, I am not leaving a mark on anything. It's quite a frightening place to be. Yeah, a lot of people will be chasing or hoping for their dream, as it were, and then if they ever get there, maybe realise it's not fulfilling. It's not all they hoped, and that's a crash down to earth. Or never get there and think, if only I'd achieved that, then I could be happy. But actually, it's not about that. Having a family... It helped me kind of clarify my priorities and sort of, you know, feel like I was doing anything that mattered. So you come from loneliness, unfulfillment, and traded that in for fear, 
but feeling consequential. It's always me that's the, pro- that's the problem. You know, I'm, I'm someone who's always kind of looking within rather than without for the source of danger. And I think I, I do that too much. You know, I, I'm, I spend too much time on the interior and not enough time, you know, getting sh- done and, <laughs> and engaging with the outside forces. I mean, it's the kind of terrible result of having so much sort of therapy and, and spending so much time soul-searching is that it can make you too self-centred and too self-focused. It allows you to be more free from the automatic processes and the things that we were conditioned into. Yes. So freeing in yes. that way, but if it means that you can't be present, for example, as often as you'd like. Yeah, and that is a hard one, actually. With parenting, it takes a real leap of faith to be like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about the work I need to do. I'm not going to worry about the chores I need to do. I'm just going to play this weird abstract game with my daughter that she's come up with (laughs) for several hours. You know, that was always quite a hard thing to commit yourself to. You have to be very unselfish to kind of lose yourself in your child's fantasy world for long periods of time. Once you've done that leap of faith, it can actually be really wonderful and really lovely because Mm. you end up kind of getting in touch with your own child, but also you're kind of in a child as well you know you're kind of you get to play like a kid again which you haven't done for a long time to become playful again yeah to just be here now yeah that's not easy is it with the to-do list scrolling with achievements needed but i found that the kind of more you commit the more you kind of get out of of times like that yeah then you've got your in jokes and the funny things that you come back to together yeah exactly and all that stuff is incredibly rewarding that direct interactive play stuff yeah because that's the gold of parenting that is it if you're not doing that what's the fucking point <laughs> you know yeah why, why did we have them if we're well, not going to enjoy them and that that stuff was a, for various reasons was a bit lacking in my own childhood and so it, it took me a long time to to value it you know in the right way now it's wonderful you know we've got loads of you know great very stupid games we play together <laughs> which uh, are are immense fun you know there's one she likes um i play a pirate called i'm called jackson for some reason and uh the, the game is she asks me about the scars on my body um to tell the stories of- i tell the story I, it's a terrible tale of misdeed and misfortune he's, he's got a northern irish accent for some reason and i tell her the magical kind of tale of how the giant sky whale bit my finger off and all that sort of stuff. And that's that. it takes a lot of effort because you're kind of, you know, you're sort of doing this weird improv game yeah. with your child and she'll sort of throw things in. It's really lovely, but it is knackering, yes. you know, and she'll just take as much as you can give, you know. So. Yeah, You'd, you would be there three days later if you didn't yeah. put a stop to it. <laughs> yeah. So what else in your life fills you up at the moment? For me, work has been a, a, a really good way of sort of finding myself a bit. It was actually the night after I found out we were pregnant where I sat down and, and wrote the script I'd been kind of putting off writing for so long. Banged it out in a in a couple of nights. So it hasn't been made yet, but it's the script I'm most proud of. It will likely be never made. It's a film about Philip Larkin, the poet, and Kingsley Amos mm. and their friendship. How t- how apt they f*** <laughs> you up your mum and dad. Yeah, absolutely. It's, podcast, all, yeah. <laughs> it's all that stuff. <laughs> kind of falling back in love with being a writer and certainly working on breeders has been a really pleasurable experience in terms of kind of finding the joy in it and sort of finding the fun in writing being a writer is a is a job like any other and being a good writer is a is a process that you have to go through it's not something you 
are or you aren't. <laughs> being good at your job isn't a signifier of being a good person. I don't know if anyone else has this issue. <laughs> I can only speak for myself, but it is a weird tightrope walk of like valuing it enough and not mm. valuing it too much. <laughs> it mustn't be the be all and end all of who you are. No, but then I found myself, you know, kind of getting scripts back and sort of realising, oh, I'm not putting enough of myself into this, you know. I'm uh-huh. being too workmanlike about it. I'm being too by numbers. You've got to be willing to put yourself out there and be brave with the decisions you make. Does it affect you thinking about how your daughter will view your work in the future? Like, in my family, it was a big deal. And, like, I'm a TV writer. My or younger sister is a TV writer as well. So we all ended up doing it in this kind of, no doubt, horrendously edible way. Um, <laughs> I hope that it's not a big deal. I really I really hope that, because there's so many more important things than, like, TV <laughs> and, yeah. and movies. And, you know, I know people who have older kids and I struggle with this. It can feel like, you know, the whole world is made of social media and, and all these kind of paradigms of success there's been so much of it around and it has to have something to do with the amount of you know connectivity we have we did a screening in manchester of a skins episode this was only a couple of years ago and they showed the first couple of episodes of skins on a big screen and then they did a q a afterwards and then this girl piped up and she just said you know i was diagnosed with schizophrenia psychosis when i was 18 and it ruined my life at that moment because I thought that that meant I was like a psycho and I was like a kind of you know gonna go around stabbing people and I you know and then she said that she watched an episode of Skins that dealt with that which I'd written because I had some experience with that kind of stuff Mm. and she said just the fact that like the episode contained that word and it was about a character who was still a full (laughs) a human being had really helped her you know talking about it can really help and sometimes it's just a matter of just using using the right words <laughs> and say the breeders episode that you wrote about the take-home bear that's one example of something that resonates with i think most parents out there comparing <laughs> yourself to other parents through something like where is the take-home bear been in his diary do you find that you compare yourself at all as a parent yeah, constantly, mm. and I despise the instinct. Uh, this is like I despise the instinct in myself to do it, but I still do it. Don't sit with your values, but still, it happens. Matt Haig's book, uh, "Reasons to Stay Alive," which is a great book, I think. He, one of the pages in that is just like the title is "How to Be Happy," and then it's just the sentence "Don't compare yourself to other people," like repeated like twenty times. Wow, that's the chapter. Which it doesn't have anything else in there, and I just think it's so it's so true. Um, it's almost a kind of golden rule, but it is so hard. It is so yes. hard to do. It's it's hard to do in a positive light, and it's, you know you end up doing it in a negative light as well, comparing yourself favorably to other parents who, yeah. you know, who do things differently. It's such an easy instinct to have to judge yeah. other people for the way they're parenting, and you, the world just has to stop doing it. <laughs> we just have to stop it. It doesn't make relationships any closer. It makes everyone miserable, you know, and it's it's such a private vulnerable intimate thing you do bringing up a kid and everyone's got such hard problems to be dealing with you know i spent quite a lot of time in my daughter's first couple of years on mum's net you know looking things up and mm. the, you know the the fights that break out on there i think there's quite a lot of dads who get quite sort of sexist and misogynistic about the reasons for that but i mm. think it is because the way you parent 
it's so scary. Yeah. And you have to make these scary decisions. And when people make different decisions than you, you take them personally. Yeah. Or you can take yeah. them personally. You can take it really personally and you can take it really hard. And that causes, that can cause conflict. It is a constant battle because you're defining a person's life. You've got to believe you're getting it right, but it's, of course, insecure, that belief. Yeah. And I, you know, and I'm someone who, you know, who still bangs into doors when I'm walking out of the room and forgets to put my socks on in the morning. It's like, I don't see myself as this sort of dynamic go-getting, you know, yet I have to kind of somehow be that for my child. Oh. <laughs> that is a weird, that's a weird thing to be. While bumbling around the world, you've got to somehow know what you're doing for her. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> what are your passions? Is there anything that you would hope to return to once there's more time or opportunity i do. would like to read more i was always the guy reading the book and i've i've kind of stepped off that now mm. i've got so many you know i'm piling up around a you pile of books i love buying books i love reading books i love thinking about books but video games are so much easier <laughs> like as a sort of stress release they're great and you you boot them up and they just provide they're just this kind of wonderful conversation a bit addicted to them but also i found once i'd had a child and had less time I did kind of start to value video games in a way I hadn't before being a bit more sort of mindful about them which is a funny word to use about video games I found myself really valuing the artistry in a game and kind of my own journey through it playing games like Spelunky which are kind of these incredibly difficult games where when you die in them you go all the way back to the beginning of the game oh. again and so you know to finish the game will probably only take you 10 minutes to do that's how long it is but to get to a place where you can do that might take you three or four years you know Ooh. is there something meditative about that or is it just frustrating what's the experience yeah meditative and quite powerful mm. in a funny kind of way you know and spelunky is a game that kind of has this idea at its heart the idea of hard work paying off oh. you know the game gives you nothing for free you know yeah. it doesn't there's no checkpoints to kind of keep your progress it just starts you back at the, back at the beginning it's an insanely difficult game but once you complete it it's a glorious feeling because it's very hard won and playing that game actually in the first year of my child's life and eventually completing it it was really powerful to just remind me of the power of hard work even even though it was in service of something really pointless like a video game it mattered to you though i bet it mattered to me and it just reminded me that like even when you can't see the rewards in front of you, that like mm. hard work is an important thing to do, you know. And I think there's a childlike bit of me which which struggles with long term reward. Mm. And and video games are very much an extension of my desire for short term reward. Um, but playing a game like Spelunky, because it was sort of built in opposition to that notion. Yeah. It was quite an illuminating experience. I still do sort of use and abuse video games in a kind of, you know, and I need to get back into books because um, I do love them. Um, it's just they require you. <laughs> to show up. They require your active. presence. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like there was something really, really needed for you in that first year of her life with that game. Yeah. To come back to again and again and get maybe a little bit further each time and the, the power of hard work. And yeah. mindfulness is such a different thing for each person, isn't it? And it doesn't have to be yoga, say. It could be video games. It could be something meditative like that or repetitive like that. Is it immersive or... What is it that's mindful for you? You know, I did a bit of the old mindfulness stuff 
I don't do it now, but there was a period where I did it every day. But I found ultimately what I took from it is the kind of thing that I was talking about where like, you know, getting into playing it with your kids. Whatever you're doing, you have to give yourself over to what it is you're doing. Yeah. Distraction is the kind of mother of misery in a funny kind of way because you're always looking for the next thing. And being a parent is very distracting. Because yeah. there's always something to be done. Just give yourself over to whatever it is you're doing, no matter how little value it has. Like, I always like doing the doing the sweeping, doing a really good job of the sweeping, or doing a really <laughs> yeah. good job of cleaning the bathroom, I find yeah. really quite, like, enjoyable. Because, I don't know, there's, there's, there's something very grounding about doing something quite basic like that, but yeah. really putting everything into it. If I'm cleaning up the bathroom, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it twice. I'm gonna clean up the bathroom and then I'm gonna do it again so that it's extra shiny. <laughs> and I am not. I'm a real slob, you know. But that floor looks great. <laughs> I also really love cooking because it's something that you can do, which is has a short term fuse, has a short term lead in. Yeah. But is really rewarding when you get it right and, and baking and stuff like that. And I think all of those things. And valuing those things are the, are the kind of things that I find, you know, the most calming and the most soothing. And the times when I'm at the, I'm most stressed is when I'm one way or another in two places at once, you know. So something finite where you can have an end product to it, if you That's approach right. it in a certain way, it can feel That's right. yeah. <laughs> fulfilling and relaxing. And then putting in the hard work, whether it be in a video game, whether it be <laughs> as a parent, yeah. can pay yeah. off. So... Are you fulfilled right now? Is there more for you? I am pretty fulfilled, I have to say. You know, it has been a a very, very tricky year for various reasons beyond the pandemic. And being able to weather those things has been a real win (laughs) as far as I'm concerned personally, you know, because there have been times when they would have really knocked me on my ass completely. Anything you want to promote coming up? Breeder Series 2, which is on in the UK, will be on Now TV uh, or on Sky to watch, I think. And in America, is on FX. As much as I love Series 1, I think Series 2 uh, is really new heights for the show, so I really recommend it. If you want to resonate with something as a parent, and if you want to sometimes feel like you're doing all right compared to the characters <laughs> in the show, it's very cathartic and funny. Yeah, get in there. I'm Matron Boy on Twitter, at Matron Boy on Twitter, if you want to follow me on there. I mostly talk about looks. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jamie, for that interview. Some of my takeaways from it are do one thing at a time with everything you have. Minimise distractions and throw yourself into playing with your child and engaging in your hobbies and passions. Engage in therapy and keep going even when the returns seem limited. Invest in this self-exploration for yourself as a person and to benefit your parenting. Notice if you're feeling resentful of other people's happiness and use this as a sign that you're unfulfilled and disconnected. Then prioritise self-reflection. Attend therapy if you can and address it as a priority. Do not compare yourself to other parents, whether favourably or negatively. And if you can't stop, get support for that. Explore forms of meditation, which for Jamie included playing Spelunky, the video game. Engage in hard work processes where the rewards are long-term rather than quick, less fulfilling returns like from social media. And finally, play. Get stuck into their imaginative world and really play. 
over on my mailing list this week, I'll be sending out a video guiding you through the process of putting other things to the side and really immersing yourself in playing with your child or children and getting the most out of that for all of you. Sign up to my mailing list if you haven't already at findingmeagain.me forward slash podcast and I'll see you there. Thank you to Chad Pfeiffer for the beautiful backing music. It's a song called Be Fleet, available at chadpfeiffer.bandcamp.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please rate it on iTunes. Even if that's not where you normally listen to podcasts, iTunes can really help other people to find it. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. Mm